Aging Matters is sponsored in part by the Aging Life Care Association, an organization of aging life care professionals. Aging life care professionals offer guidance, advocacy, and support for older adults and their families in order to maximize quality of life. An aging life care professional can be there for your loved one when you can't be. More information about the Aging Life Care Association is available at www.midatlanticalca.org. Good afternoon and welcome to Aging Matters on Arlington Independent Media's community radio station, WERALP Arlington, 96.7 FM. I'm Cheryl Beversdorf, your host. Nursing homes have been hit hard by COVID-19 across the nation and in our region. Residents at these facilities are often at greater risk for many types of infections, including COVID. Once exposed, These residents are at greater risk for additional health complications. My guest today is Dana Parsons, Vice President and Legislative Counsel of Leading Age Virginia. She's going to talk about why nursing homes have been so vulnerable to COVID-19 and how staff members may have contributed to COVID outbreaks in these facilities. She will also describe infection control and prevention measures nursing homes have taken to prevent COVID infections and keep residents safe and healthy. So welcome, Dana, and thank you for joining me today. Well, thank you so much for having me today. I'd like to just begin with a brief overview of Leading Age Virginia. We're an association of not-for-profit aging services organizations, and we represent the entire continuum of aging services, which includes life plan communities, continuing care retirement communities, senior housing, assisted living, nursing homes, adult day, and home and community-based services. And we also work in collaboration with our national association, Leading Age. All right. Well, let's get started then, Dana. Uh, Let's talk about what's happened over the last year. When the pandemic began a year ago, What did nursing homes know about COVID-19 and its dangers to residents? Well, the coronavirus, which is the virus that causes COVID-19, was entirely new. So all healthcare providers, nursing homes included, were unaware of the virus and the threat that it posed to people of all ages. Even after the first cases were identified, Older adults, particularly vulnerability, was not known, but it quickly became apparent months passed before health officials had a really clear understanding of its transmission. And so you mentioned the word vulnerable. Explain exactly the nature of nursing homes. Why were nursing homes especially so vulnerable to COVID-19? Sure, absolutely. Nursing home residents are generally frail and really often have higher levels of chronic illnesses and impairment. So they are particularly susceptible. You know, residents live in close proximity to one another and therefore increase the possibility of transmission. So let's begin to look at how they the nursing homes started handling the situation. What were the initial changes that were made 
uh, to protect residents. And and in that regard, also talk a little bit about testing, because that was a little new as well. So what, what was the scenario? G- give us an overview, Dana. Sure, absolutely. You know, there was immediate federal and state response. So I'd, I'd like to quickly kind of give an overview of the federal response and then the state So on March 13th of 2020, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid, that is the agency that governs nursing homes, um, and that's CMS, announced uh, basically restrictions on visitations in nursing homes. And this was in an effort to protect the residents. About a month later, CMS then issued some new recommendations to state and local governments on how to help nursing homes help mitigate the spread of the virus. And this really included ensuring that nursing homes were complying with all CMS and CDC guidance on infection control and prevention, hand hygiene, appropriate use of personal protective equipment, PPE, when interacting with residents and patients, the implementation of symptom screening and testing, cohorting of COVID-positive residents and the staff caring for those non-COVID-positive groups. Unfortunately, at the beginning, the rapid rise in cases across the U.S. really resulted in a shortage of critical resources needed to contain the virus, including PPE and in testing. So in Virginia, one of the main responses that we had Our governor established the uh, Virginia COVID-19 Long-Term Care Task Force. He did this on April 10th. This was a group of stakeholders, including Leading Age Virginia, where we really got together to work on ensuring that nursing homes had the resources they needed to combat the virus, to strengthen staffing, testing, and infection control measures in the nursing home, and to keep all stakeholders informed about the impact of COVID-19 on nursing homes. So this website, um, there's a website available for this uh, task force that's been convened. There are all types of resources and information uh, there for nursing homes and for the public. When the long-term care task force was was convened, we were on the phone with the Virginia Department of Health every day. I can't say enough great things about the Department of Health and working closely with them to make sure that our nursing homes had what they needed and that information was being disseminated. And I'm I'm hearing what you had said, some of the precautions and procedures that you implemented. What what about, because we read about a lot of this in the paper, uh, about staff that were employed at multiple facilities, because as I said, there's always been somewhat of a concern about the the role that staff might have played in terms of the problems. Was was that also something that nursing homes had to deal with, the fact that staff might be employed at different uh, facilities? What would you tell us? Yes, absolutely. Well, well, first of all, I would like to say that, you know, precautions were immediately implemented for staff related to the use of personal protective equipment, screening, cohorting and visitor restrictions. And cohorting is just really, uh, you know, a term used to keep residents who are positive um, in the same area, same space, wing or floor. Um, And the PPE that was used was related to isolation gowns, masks, face shields, goggles, gloves, etc. 
The issue about staff working at multiple facilities, uh, that it was a concern, continues to be a concern. Nursing homes, especially uh, speaking within the Leading Age Virginia membership, tried to do what they could to uh, stop that from happening. Of course, you know, we are and have always dealt with staffing shortages. So it's very difficult and challenging uh, for communities to do that. But they did all that they could. Um, If that wasn't possible, they took all the necessary precautions that they needed to for protection. But I would like to talk a little bit about an example of a community in Virginia Beach, Westminster Canterbury on the Chesapeake Bay. They were really uh, concerned about this and had a really innovative uh, program that they put in place to try to stop or reduce staff working at multiple uh, communities. So they implemented a program uh, where they basically stopped that from occurring. So Ben Uncle, the president and CEO of Westminster Canterbury at the Bay, he said, if you tell us if you have another job that deals with the public, stop. Then Westminster Canterbury is going to make them whole by giving these employees enough hours, including overtime hours if necessary, to replace the pay they were receiving elsewhere. So communities have really tried to be innovative um, in what they can do to stop that. But that was a problem, and um, they continue to work on that on a case-by-case basis. Okay, well, that's very helpful in terms of staff. So let's turn to the residents. This is certainly must have been a real uh, change uh, for, for residents. And I, I'm just curious to know what the nursing homes began to see in terms of of physical health. Were there changes in their physical health, their mental health? What were some of the situations that occurred as the efforts were made to keep these residents safe? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'd just like to say that it's heart-wrenching for nursing homes and residents and families to be kept apart for any amount of time. The unprecedented social isolation caused by this pandemic And really, our nation's patchwork response has caused anguish for the nursing home residents and their families. Now, even as the vaccinations start to become more universal in nursing homes and other residential care settings, the danger that social isolation has really posed to these vulnerable residents really does remain to be a a very uh, real health risk. You know, at Leading Age Virginia, we really believe maintaining connections and visits with family members is crucial to the residents' well-being, but we continue to see the toll that it's taken on their physical and mental well-being. Um, as an association, you know we continue to provide resources to our members, to nursing homes, to really support uh, the needs of these older residents and to do what we can to promote social engagement. And that's really come down to working through technology. Well, since you've been mentioning leading age, maybe we could have you put in here exactly how people could contact leading age. Yeah, thanks so much. Yeah, please check out our website, uh, Leading Age Virginia, all spelled out, leadingagevirginia.org. Yes, please check us out. We have uh, lots of information um, and resources there, as well as our national association, which is just leadingage.org. All right. Well, 
we'll have a chance to share that again later in the program. I also, you mentioned about the the, the residents. I, I am curious, have you heard of examples of, of how residents reacted to wearing masks all the time, practicing social distancing? I'm sure that was quite a, a, quite a change for nursing home residents. Yes, absolutely. Uh, very challenging initially. I am really happy to share, though, uh, some observations that we've seen within several of our member communities. Uh, they've been engaging through an ECHO program, uh, which I'm going to talk a little bit about later, uh, which is some uh, program that provides some online general networking. But really, the consensus is that residents have been amazingly adjusting to the change. It appears to be much more difficult on family members. Uh, the support from families have been very strong. They've engaged in parades, sending cards to residents, etc. Absolutely, the use of virtual technology has helped. Uh, the use of masks and distancing has been most difficult for residents with significant cognitive impairments. But with the staff also wearing the mask, some residents have really been able to adapt more easily. And in some cases, they've been requesting to wear a surgical mask instead of a cloth mask so that they can match the staff. So uh, we've been moving in a positive direction, I'm happy to say. Was there other kinds of ways that you were, uh, or nursing homes were able to deal with the whole concept of social isolation? I, I'm assuming that more often than not, residents had to end up staying in their own rooms more was, how, how did staff handle that? So staff were really uh, worked one-on-one -on -one with nursing homes to really come up with some innovative ways to support residents. And we were able to, um, within our membership, identify some numerous strategies that they've really been able to help address some of the negative outcomes resulting in social isolation, you know, bringing staff and residents together through engaging in art uh, music to allow creative expression, exercise, gardening, uh, visiting pets, uh, and really the use of technology to communicate with families and friends. I, you mentioned pets. I just have to ask: Are there a lot of nursing homes that that have pets as? as permanent residents there to keep the residents company? Well, you know, it depends on the nursing home. They all have different uh, pet policies uh, regarding, you know, which nursing homes are uh, permit pets and which do not. But many of them participate in pet programs where they actually uh, come on uh, to the campus and visit with residents. Well, you so often see where pet therapy is, is really important and any kind of long-term care uh, facility. So while people probably couldn't come in from outside, if there were resident pets who need a home as well, that, that certainly would be as, as a, a, certainly a good thing. I also wanted to ask you, Dana, uh, you mentioned a little bit about the family members. I, I'd like to talk a little bit more about that. Uh, how how did that whole policy start getting implemented? That, that's kind of the first part. Uh, and then the second part of my question would be how often families made the decision to take their loved ones home and, and what was that based on? Because if someone is really, a loved one is quite sad or depressed, 
families probably had to evaluate whether bringing them home would be better than leaving them at the nursing home. So talk about the whole issue of family members and how that was handled and what different scenarios uh, nursing homes dealt with. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, on March 13th of last year, CMS, the agency that governs the nursing homes on a federal level, really um, implemented some restrictions on visitation in nursing homes. And that was just an overall effort to protect the nursing home residents. Then in September, CMS announced new guidance for safe visitation in nursing homes that allowed for in-person visits based on COVID-19 outbreaks within the communities. But, you know, nursing homes really had to and continue to have to balance the safety and well-being of residents and staff, considering uh, the possibility of the spread and testing uh, availability and PPE and so forth. So it's been very challenging overall for for nursing homes, uh, residents to be separated from their families. But I think it's important to know that on one hand, they had to follow these regulations um, that were put in place to restrict visitation uh, in the best interests of the residents. Uh, Then in September, some of those were lifted, but then outbreaks continued. So nursing homes really had to balance, you know, the safety and the well-being of the residents. And regarding uh, residents um, going home, families taking their loved ones home, there's really no one-size-fits-all answer to that. You know, some individuals and families may have decided that it made sense for a loved one to go home during the pandemic particularly if there were significant a number of cases where their loved one reside, resided. But the reality is that some nursing home residents have medical needs beyond those that can be provided for at home. So it really needed to be a decision that was made in consultation with the resident's medical provider before making that move. I guess what I was trying to find out is in the event that a family did take their loved one home, thinking that maybe that they could meet all of the needs uh, of their loved one, and then they found out that this isn't going to work for a variety of reasons, and we don't need to go into that, would they be able to bring their loved one back to that nursing home, or was that also an issue that had to be dealt with? Sure, you know, that was really on a case-by-case basis uh, with the nursing home. Um, if a resident did go home and things uh, were not working well at home and they needed to come back into the nursing home, you know, there were many issues that had to be considered. Uh, what was the um, outbreak situation? Was there an outbreak? Was there availability of a nursing home bed? So those discussions uh, were also made prior to residents uh, going home. Those were just all things that needed to be taken into consideration. Uh, but, um, you know, if a resident needed to come back and there was uh, the ability for them to do so, um, again, on a case-by-case basis, I know that, you know, our nursing homes within Leading Age Virginia would do all that they could uh, to get them back into the nursing home. But if there wasn't availability, they could work with other nursing homes in the area to see what could be worked out. These were tough situations to have to deal with. Very tough, yes, absolutely. You mentioned a little bit earlier, Dana, about staff shortages, and and I think it's really important to 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 help us understand a little bit about the first of all, 
the first part of my question would be how did the staff shortages impact the you know the ability of nursing homes to deal with all of these issues that were going on with COVID-19 and then help us on that and then maybe you could elaborate a little bit about staff shortages in general uh, for, for nursing homes say even before the pandemic. You know, workforce shortages in aging services is a long-standing concern and issue among nursing homes. But with COVID, then there was a real concern about fear of the job and the prospect of becoming sick, you know, not to mention the challenge of balancing considerable work-life issues that care workers have in nursing homes, such as child care, uh, you know, issues with recruitment and retention for nursing home employers were really an issue. Um, so this is not new to long-term care. Um, you know, have staff shortages always been an issue for nursing homes? Um, and as I mentioned, uh, they've always been a concern and a well-documented issue for aging services across the board. For nursing homes, any discussion, though, about staffing shortages, you really have to take into consideration funding sources. We're a state that has a low Medicaid rate, and those communities that uh, rely on Medicaid and Medicare, that is a real concern also that comes into play uh, with staffing shortages, just just lack of funding. So Leading Age Virginia, we continually advocate for increased Medicaid reimbursement to support nursing homes throughout Virginia, especially related to staffing. I'd like to mention that even during our 2020 um, General Assembly special session, not the special session, I apologize, the regular session, there was legislation passed uh, to conduct a study about assessing the availability of the workforce, the clinical workforce in nursing homes. So we've worked with the Department of Health on that, uh, closely on that study. That study, you know, has been um provided to lawmakers and they're reviewing the outcome of that, the results. But that just goes to show you that, you know, this has been a continued problem and it's one that Virginia is very well aware of and we're continuing to look at it and examine it. I would also ask Dana, does the staff shortage kind of depend on the size of the nursing home? I mean, is it is it more just uh, you've mentioned a couple of things in terms of in the aging population or the, the reimbursement policies or the, the payments that are given to staff. Is, it, is the size of the facility can, and the number of patients per staff member that may be assigned, is, is that also a factor? I'm just uh, curious about that. Yeah, that's a great question. I don't think a size of a community is immune to the staffing shortage problem. I think it's just across the board. We continually need to educate uh, students about the careers in long-term care, uh, just the rewarding careers to try to increase the availability of um, caretakers in this field. Okay, well, We're going to take a short break right now. We are talking with Dana Parsons with Leading Age Virginia. She is the Vice President and Legislative Counsel of the Leading Age Virginia. And, of course, you are listening to WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. We'll be right back. Aging Matters is brought to you in part by Kathy Corridan, Senior Real Estate Specialist. 
Kathy is a realtor with KW Metro Center in Alexandria and works with seniors in Alexandria, Arlington, and D.C. to make selling their home and moving less stressful and more successful. More information is available at 703-971-7237 or ccatkw at gmail.com. Welcome back. We are talking with Dana Parsons, Vice President and Legislative Counsel of Leading Age Virginia. And the first half, we learned a lot about what happened, what was the situation in terms of nursing homes and staff and residents when COVID hit, gosh, almost a, a year ago. And so we'd like to focus now on what new things are happening. Uh, and and Dana, let's Let's kind of start again at the top. What new policies have nursing homes adopted to prevent infections among patients and staff? I'm sure they've had to learn a lot over the past year, but what what's happening now? What, what are they doing? Sure. You know, I, I don't know that I'd say new policies per se, as much as implementation of requirements from the CDC and CMS. And of course, uh, nursing homes have hard jobs and they're doing what they can to be innovative. But at the end of the day, they do have to be in compliance with certain uh, regulations and requirements. So I would like to just give a little um, mention here that the fact that nursing homes are regulated by the Centers of Medicare and Medicaid, that's the federal regulation. They're also regulated by the state. So the Department of Health has what's called the Office of Licensure and Certification, and that is the state survey agency that actually goes out and conducts surveys. So even during this challenging time, uh, surveys continued. They weren't in person, but they were happening virtually. So, you know, they nursing homes have a very tough job and really have so many regulations and requirements that they have to comply with. So pre-pandemic, they were not required to purchase and stockpile masks and gowns and gloves and eye gear. And the use of PPE in nursing homes has really skyrocketed, and there have been shortages at times. So they've dealt with that. Uh, But, you know, the infection prevention and the control practices are just so key to mitigate the spread of the virus. So nursing homes are following these stringent requirements that are in place by CMS uh, around strict hand hygiene, PPE equipment standards. They're constantly training and monitoring staff. They have to document these practices and so forth. So they just, they really, uh, they they were doing a great job before and following the regulations um, that they had that that were very comprehensive and detailed. And then to put on top of that, here comes COVID. And now they are following such an extensive infection control. Not that they weren't before, but then there's a real eye on it from a survey perspective. So even though those surveyors weren't coming in, to the community, to the nursing home. They were doing uh, virtual inspections. And so there were uh, that pressure on them. And so they just have so much to do. So there are, of course, 
were innovative ways that they came up with, you know, facility by facility. Uh, but at the end of the day, they're really um, following these guidelines that are before them. And they receive so much training and they have been uh, availing themselves of just tr- a tremendous amount of training at this time um, to keep in compliance. And I want to talk a little bit more about that training in just a second. But insofar as these surveys, how often does the, the state actually survey a nursing home? And is that do the homes know in advance when the surveyors are coming? I'm thinking now, of course, not so well, either virtually or in person. But what is that pattern in terms of, of how uh, nursing homes are surveyed? So typically they have an annual survey. It really depends um, on the nursing home. They're also subject to complaint surveys, which I think during COVID, um, there's been a rise in those. And so uh, they're conducted unannounced, um, the annual survey as well as the complaint survey. At this time, surveyors are allowed to go into the nursing home and conduct inspections. They're doing those socially distanced. As of this time, CMS is not requiring testing of the surveyors, uh, which we do have a concern about that. Uh, But they are going through screening and so forth um, prior to coming in uh, to the nursing home. All right. Well, let's move to the the training. And one of the things that I'm, I'm curious about is when I say staff members receiving training, or you mentioned also about that in infection prevention and control, I guess I'd have two questions here. One, is everybody from the administrator down to the people who actually do direct care, uh, is everybody receiving this this new training? Um, and, and what does that look like? I, Perhaps you could kind of give us a scenario of what's happening now in terms of staff members in nursing homes of of the training and the new approach with COVID. Absolutely. Well, it's interestingly, one positive outcome is that now that we're living in this Zoom world, there's so much training uh, that can, that's being provided to nursing homes online. So there, you know, before it was difficult and challenging for direct care staff workers to leave the community in order to receive training. So now through Leading Age uh, Virginia, we offer quite a bit of online training and that training is being offered from the top down. Everyone is receiving this type of infection control training, all types of training. Um, As I had mentioned earlier, you know, ways to overcome social isolation. It's really just uh, all the needed training in a variety of different areas and really being targeted to all that work in a nursing home. So particularly, there's one example of a program. It's a national nursing home COVID-19 Action Network ECHO model program that I had mentioned earlier. Uh, And that is being conducted through George Mason University and Virginia Commonwealth University. And this is an online program that's really been benefiting nursing homes across the state. They've actually received an incentive of $6,000 to participate in the 16-week training to improve the quality of care. You know, that's, that's been a really great incentive. So this ECHO model has really allowed the ability to connect 
those that work in the nursing homes, you know, real-time collaborative and virtual sessions to really provide training and support to nursing home staff on best practices for protecting the patients, the staff, and visitors from COVID. So it's been very beneficial, and I'd like to put a shout out uh, to access information. You can go to virginianavigator.org forward slash nursing home echo. This is a great program. If you know of a nursing home that's not participated in it, I highly encourage you to give them information because having this $6,000 incentive is just really beneficial to nursing homes across the board. Good information, and thank you for sharing that. I, I want to turn now to what everybody is thinking about, and that's vaccinations. And of course, nursing home residents were in the very first group, help me on this, and I'm pretty sure of this, uh, to because they were considered the most vulnerable. So what has that process been like for nursing homes to get all residents vaccinated? And, and I realize that we're only, we're here in Virginia, and so it may vary um, from state to state. But as part of Leading Age Virginia, what have you heard from, from your nursing home members in terms of making that possible? Well, we were very thankful uh, for the support of the federal government and the Virginia Department of Health and CVS and Walgreens and, you know, working to prioritize nursing home residents to receive the vaccine. You know, what we're hearing is CVS and Walgreens are working with nursing homes across the state to set up clinics. Many of the nursing home clinics have already occurred for first and second doses, um, and they were administered through the federal pharmacy partnership program. So initially the program is on a federal level. And as I mentioned, CVS and Walgreens were administering that. And then we worked with the Department of Health uh, to get those programs rolled out. The first vaccination clinics for nursing home residents and staff occurred on December 28th of last year. And so we've heard, you know, pretty positive experiences uh, from the nursing home clinics about getting the vaccination for the residents and the staff. And there's also, you know, no leave no vaccine behind. So if any residents um, or staff were not receiving the vaccine at that time, the nursing homes uh, were working very hard to make sure that those uh, vaccines were then available for other levels of care. And this could be a great time, too, for me to mention that nursing homes, you know, they're available on a standalone campus here in Virginia. Times they're also on a campus with an assisted living. And then they're also on a campus as a continuing care retirement community or life plan campus. So a nursing home is licensed through the Virginia Department of Health. And they can be available as a standalone, but they can also be part of a continuing care retirement community where persons move through the continuum of aging services. Uh, also a life plan campus, Best Shalom, um, here in Richmond and Virginia Beach. Uh, those are two examples of a life plan campus. They have affordable housing for their independent living. Then you move into the assisted living and then into the nursing home as needed. Uh, so these clinics have been set up at these campuses and uh, CVS and Walgreens have come in and been administering those. And then, you know, what, what happens beyond 
the clinics. Um, they've been working really well for the nursing homes. Uh, we've been, you know, advocating for independent living on those campuses, but that's a topic for another day. Uh, but, you know, one, once the program's over, the federal program, long-term care facilities, nursing homes will have to work with their contracted pharmacies to get the vaccine for new staff and residents. But so far, so good. And we're just very thankful for this glimmer of hope. And I appreciate you sharing that, Dana, because I think that uh, there are really two other terms. You, I mean, the two, the two terms you hear a lot about nursing homes, but there are different kinds of long-term care facilities, and you have have mentioned those frequently, and that's that's very helpful so that people really understand. And and your organization, the Leading Age Virginia, and the and the National uh, Association lists or or alludes to all those. Is that correct? The different kinds of facilities? Yeah, you know, long-term care facilities within the for within the state regulatory world is really the buzz phrase for nursing homes and assisted living. Those are two levels of care that are regulated here in Virginia, the assisted living by the Department of Social Services and the nursing home by the Department of Health. But we tend to, in our verbiage, use long-term care to really kind of encompass the entire continuum of aging services. Uh, But for purposes of our discussion today, we're really honing in on long-term care as related to nursing homes. Well, I also wanted to hear a little bit more about getting staff members uh, vaccinated. um, is, is it required? Uh, what happens if a staff member refuses vaccination? Is there action that can be taken? Uh, what are maybe some of the reasons why uh, a staff member is reluctant to get the vaccine? Help us understand a little bit more about that situation. Well, the federal government, as well as Virginia, our state government, they do not mandate the vaccine. So therefore, you know, at this time, staff are really not required uh, to be vaccinated. Some nursing homes may require staff to be vaccinated. Um, I'll tell you, it's my understanding at this time that the majority of nursing homes in Virginia are not mandating it. But if a nursing home does choose to mandate the vaccine as a condition of employment, it would have to include, um, you know, some exceptions based on accommodations for disability or religious objections. I know within the Leading Age Virginia membership that they're doing all that they can to incentivize staff to get the vaccination. Uh, We've been providing education about the vaccine vaccine. Short little webinars, Uh, Dr. Jim Wright, the medical director at Our Lady of Hope, he recently provided um, a a brief uh, webinar for us to provide to our staff that really just explained the vaccine, you know, uh, concerns about people, you know, that people have related to it and kind of explaining those concerns away. And we have, we shared it nationally. It was just so well accepted. I think that generally, you know, folks have concerns about the side effects. Uh, They're concerned it hasn't been thoroughly tested. You know, they don't want to be the first. They've declined to take it because they feel like, you know, not enough months have gone by to really see uh, what it can do. They also feel like they haven't gotten COVID now. Maybe they don't need the vaccine. And then there's also those that, have been concerned about pregnancy and the impact that it can have 
on those uh, on pregnant women. But if a staff member chooses not to receive the vaccine, they're not treated any differently. Uh, but we've been hearing back from our nursing homes that there's been, you know, a lot, many, many, uh, in many cases, the staff have been welcoming the vaccine. And so, of course, every community is, is dealing with it on a case-by-case basis, but they're doing all that they can to educate and encourage uh, the staff to obtain the vaccine. Well, and we hope that will continue because we hope that they will be safe. So uh, it's, it's, it's hopefully a win-win situation for staff members as well as, as residents. You had mentioned a little bit earlier about uh, family visit policy. And I, uh, you mentioned that there were some changes last September. Well, we're now in February. Is the fact that more people, more residents are getting vaccinated and policies have changed, has that impacted now more recently on uh, the family visit policy with residents? Well, I'd like to back up a little bit and and provide some background on that and kind of explain, um, you know, what what the current state is. In our 2020, we had a special session of the Virginia General Assembly, and there was legislation put forth about developing a nursing home protocol for visitation. And so we were very supportive of that legislation. It passed. Um, You know, this was legislation to develop uh, amendments to those regulations that are the basic uh, guidance for nursing homes requirements to follow. And so the each nursing home, uh, based on these amended regulations, would have to develop a protocol, a visitation protocol. Now, these regulations are currently working through the approval process uh, within our membership and speaking, you know, with nursing homes across the state. They, you know, they have nursing home visitation protocols in place. So it really seems when I've been talking with our members that once these regulations go through, that they'll be tweaking their policy to reflect these requirements and so forth. Uh, So that's the first area, uh, which is a positive change about developing the nursing home protocol. Uh, Secondly, the Department of Health issues uh, clinical memos to put out to healthcare providers and the public so you know at wide about educating on different issues related to the covid virus and we've been getting a lot of questions about well now that staff have been uh, vaccinated and now that residents have been vaccinated and they've received their second vaccine and enough time has passed that they're clearly protected you know what can we do to start uh, loosening the requirements So that has been really the issue of the day, the question of the day. And in a recent um, clinical memo from clinicians memo from the Department of Health, the commissioner mentioned that CMS was currently reviewing visitation guidance to determine if any changes could occur once residents and family members are fully vaccinated. But he indicated in his memo that at this time, long-term care facilities, which would be nursing homes and assisted living, should continue to follow all existing recommendations regarding visitation, testing, and the use of PPE in quarantine. So although we have this real sense of hope and and folks, uh, residents, family members, and staff are receiving the vaccine, we still are, are not there yet. 
but we're very cognizant of it and want to move in that direction. So interestingly, last week, our National Association Leading Age conducted an interview with Evan Shulman. He's the director of the Division of Nursing Homes with CMS. And he was asked the question, now that residents and staff are being vaccinated, will visitation and other guidance be revised? So interestingly, he too uh, mentioned that that is the question of the hour. And he said, nope, not yet. We want to do it as soon as possible, but we still have concerns. And here's why we can't revise the guidance yet. He said, it's too early. We need to get everyone on a second dose and wait two weeks after that. And we're just not there yet. The decline in cases began prior to the vaccination, so it's not absolutely solely to vaccines. We don't know yet if vaccines prevent the transmission. We do not know if it prevents people from getting sick, but it's possible that a person who's been vaccinated can transmit it to others. And generally, it's too early to know if the vaccine protects against other variants. Therefore, we just can't change the visitation guidance yet. But remember that it doesn't prohibit all visitations. As communities continue to move forward, more visitation will be possible. So it really comes down on a case-by-case basis with the community and what can work out for them for outdoor visits. I know they're occurring more. I know of a community um, in Virginia Beach, again, Westminster Canterbury at the Bay, who developed what was called a hugging wall and was actually able to um, allow for visitation with plastic um, between the family member and the resident. So we're just not there yet, but we really want to be, but we just need more information. That's very helpful. I just, I wanted to spend the rest of the time um, of this program about kind of general information that I'm sure listeners may be interested in knowing. The, the first question would be, in spite of all of these changes and, and new policies and that, if a family or families had a complaint about a nursing home, what do you recommend that they do? What, what's the best approach? Well, first, I, I really recommend, you know, depending on the situation, that they try to resolve it with with the leadership at the nursing home. This could be the administrator. They could even talk with the social worker. They can also reach out to the Office of the Long-Term Care Ombudsman. So that's another great avenue. Uh, This organization helps to advocate for residents, and I think that's a really uh, excellent program that they could take advantage of. But as I mentioned earlier, the Department of Health Office of Licensure and Certification, they're the uh, survey agency here in the state. They also investigate consumer complaints regarding nursing homes. So if a person, you know, needs to file a complaint about a nursing home, they can call a toll-free number. That's 1-800-955-1819. Again, 1-800-955-1819. They can also go on to the Department of Health website, look up the Office of Licensure and Certification, and all the steps are there that they would need to take to file a complaint. Good advice. The other question that I wanted to ask you, Dana, is backing up a little further, if there's a situation now for families uh, 
who may have to place a loved one in a nursing home, help help them understand, they may be listening today, what they should do. What what resources are available to help them? Are there, uh, there are places where they can learn about the safety history of nursing homes? What's available to help them make the right decision? Sure. I, I'd absolutely tell those loved ones that are considering putting a member of their family in a nursing home to initially they could go out to medicare.gov. That is going to be the website that will provide information about licensed nursing homes that receive Medicare and Medicaid. They compare nursing homes. They have scores on staffing, health inspections, and the overall quality of care of residents. Of course, I would like to put a plug in, you know, that's very subjective. Uh, that information is entered into the Medicare system based on inspections. And so you, you just have to really kind of take the information in totality. Um, of course, that is a very good indicator of general information. Uh, but I wouldn't necessarily take a low star rating without trying to look into some other information. So this website offers a five star uh, rating for nursing homes. And so I wouldn't necessarily count out a nursing home because there is a low star. I, I do a little more digging. That website also provides a checklist that includes all the issues and questions that a family member might want to consider before placing a loved one in a nursing home. So I really think that is a really great resource to have. Uh, there's also an, a nursing home guide there that also includes lots of issues to consider. I'd ask friends and family for recommendations, what they've heard uh, about the nursing home. Does anyone have any experiences there? And speak to staff at the, at the community. Visit, see how the staff engage with the residents, you know, and just really assess the quality of care for that particular community. You are mentioning about actually going to these facilities. Is this something that nursing homes expect that if somebody's coming over there that they're going to have to give a tour and uh, uh, show them what the facility is like? Well, of course, that's different under COVID. Um, so yeah, True. there are going to be virtual tours and different ways that they could go about doing it um, in the most safe way possible. Uh, so that's really going to depend um, on the nursing home and what they have in place. You know, I also wanted to mention that, you know, before they go and enter into a nursing home, there's other ways that they can gather information, their resident councils and so forth, that they could uh, connect with nursing homes, have resident councils. Those are groups of residents that are come together to talk about issues of concern and also to develop social activities and so forth. So uh, that's another um, avenue that they could uh, look toward to getting information. So the nursing home resident uh, councils are right in the nursing home. So there's kind of a helpful governing body that um, can continue to play a, a role in protecting the residents' rights? Is, that's what you're telling us, right? Yes, they could reach out to the nursing home and find out who leads the council um, and contact that person and gather more information. Who, who's on the nursing home resident council? Is it just the residents themselves, or are there also staff members, or are family members a part of that? Uh, d tell us a little bit more about that. 
these councils? The councils really comprise the residents. Uh, They can invite uh, staff within the nursing home to attend or family members, but really uh, it's a group of residents that come together to uh, talk about uh, things that they think may be going well or not going well and just ways um, that they can advocate for the community. And it's also an opportunity for the council to come together to talk about things that they'd like to see done, you know, that could foster social, you know, events to overcome social isolation. All right. Well, we're just about out of time. Very quickly, Dana, can you just tell us again, best resources for older adults and their families to find objective information about nursing home? Sure. Yeah, I'd also like to mention that if you're looking um, to put your loved one in a nursing home, you might want to first determine if it's a for-profit or not-for-profit community. You know, as an association, that membership space consists of solely not-for-profit retirement communities. Our goal is really to provide positive aging experience for all residents in the broader community. If a nursing home is a for-profit community, the family member may want to consider if that nursing home is part of a chain and then delve a little closer into learning more about the corporation that oversees that chain. They could also reach out again to their ombudsman um, and really determine what best level of care is needed. It, It might be that nursing home care is not needed. They could talk to their ombudsman to see if adult day or home health or assisted living or a continuing care retirement community may be a better option. So I think reaching out to the ombudsman would be very beneficial to a family member uh, considering placing a loved one in a nursing home, just to really determine if that is the best fit. And then if it is to get help, the ombudsman can help gather some information about that nursing home to help them make the best decision. All right. Well, I want to thank Dana Parsons with Leading Age Virginia for joining me today. And if you want to learn more about Aging Matters, you can visit our website, which is www.agingmattersonline.com. If you visit the site, you can access all Aging Matters radio and TV show content, as well as the Aging Matters podcasts on Apple and Spotify, which this program, as all of them, will be. Uh, you can find them at. So be sure and check that out. Also, you can subscribe to the Aging Matters monthly email newsletter. It comes out at the end of every month. There you can get updates on the new radio shows and the TV episodes that have been produced by Aging Matters. This program is produced in association with Ink Mouth Media, and you can learn more about that company at inkmouthmedia.com. As always, thank you for listening to Aging Matters today, and remember... Age is just a number, not a label. I'll be back again with you next week. Aging Matters on WERA is brought to you in part by Synergy Home Care. Synergy Home Care provides premier in-home care for you or your loved one throughout Northern Virginia, including personal care, homemaker services, companion and memory care, and transportation. Call 703-558-3435 or visit SynergyHomeCare.com for more information. Synergy Home Care will find a care solution to meet your needs.